You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Please remember that all of the information in this podcast episode is limited to general information only. That means the information is not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So you should seek the advice of a licensed and trusted financial professional before acting on the information. And before you acquire or apply for a financial product, please read the PDS or product disclosure statement, which should be available on the issuer's website. Lastly, please keep in mind that past performance is not indicative of future performance. Welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, and we are talking fire. Kate Campbell, thanks for joining me. <laughs> Good to be back, Owen. And one of our favorite topics to talk about, we've talked about it a couple of times uh, over the last few years on the podcast, but because we actually just released our brand new Financial Independence Retire Early mega course on RASC education just late December, so most people probably don't know about it yet. And it's free, so that's great, and it will be in the show notes, so we'd love for you to take it. But we wanted to talk a little bit today about how our perspectives on the financial independence movement and that concept have changed over the last few years. I mean, just Owen and I, just the two of us have gone through a lot of changes, and I can't imagine the amount of changes all of our listeners have gone through, especially with COVID last year. So I think that's a really interesting thing to talk about, how how our ideas and what we think of being financially independent looks like now. And I also wanted to share some of the takeaways that we've had from putting this course together, because it was quite a while in the making. Um, I didn't quite realise when I started on this, how long it would take to put together an online course. But um, yeah, so we really just wanted to talk about that a little bit and just sort of share the love with the course and um, encourage you to try it out and give us your thoughts. Yeah, that's it. So let's just double click on that. It's a free course. It'll be in the show notes. We wanted to talk about FIRE in this podcast, but we also want to direct your attention to it. Mm. The course is free, free, free. So you can go and take it, just enroll, tell your friends about it. So there's a label on it, which is the FIRE like movement, so financial independence, retire early. But for anyone who's followed the FIRE movement, you'll know that it's not about, you know, it's not necessarily just a label. It's actually like strategies for saving money, for living a better life. Yeah, it's a different way of thinking about your finances and approaching things. And I think it's a much 
better way to think of things more holistically than just thinking I need to invest X amount per year. I guess my idea of FIRE has really broadened a lot more with lifestyle design and how I actually want my life to go and what I want my money to do. Yeah. And so that's the thing. When I was reading over Kate's course, which by the way, she kind of plotted a, a course to it in probably March, April last year. Yeah, like COVID. Just, just after COVID hit, I think we had all had a bit of time on our hands suddenly and after I, everyone probably knows I had to cancel my trip. So um, I just wanted to sort of get stuck into something to distract myself and I think we started the very foundations back, yeah, back in March last year. Yeah, and it's now live. So it's actually been a very big effort. So Kate's done recordings. We've got graphics from Sophie. Everyone on the team's played a part in this. Yeah. But definitely like Kate's research and reading over the years has, has come together into a course that you'll be able to pick up and you'll think, this is everything that I want. So it talks about you know psychology, budgeting. It talks about investing. It talks about what happens when you hit retirement, if you decide to retire, all of those wonderful things. And it's just kind of like a, a very flexible, broad framework to live your life by, your new mm. financial life we're talking about as well as your the rest yeah. of your life. And it also links with our other free courses like the ones on super and exchange traded funds and shares. So you can sort of stop and pause and play the other courses as you're going through so you can really get a really great understanding of your overall financial picture. And we've also been uh, had the pleasure of being able to include some case studies from mm, other Australians on the path to financial independence. We've got about four so far, but if you get inspired after <laughs> going through the course and want to contribute and be a case study, there's a feedback form in the end or send us an email and we'd love for you to get involved as well. Yeah. And we've got obviously got the Facebook community, which if you're not part of it yet, so many people have joined it already, which is fantastic. You can just share your thoughts. Like, what do you think of the five movement? Do you follow something similar? Do you mix it up? Tell us all about it um, in the in the group, and we can all talk about it. So, Kate, your top five takeaways from building the course and just generally, you've got here over the last few years. Maybe we can just run through them. Yeah, because um, you obviously knew a lot about <laughs> fire before you did this, but now you're. You've yeah. done the course and you probably had more time to reflect on it. I think I really started diving in around 18. I mean, I started working full-time out of high school and um, after about six months I realised I was just spending every single cent I made. And um, once I started learning about finances and I stumbled across the FIRE movement and I've really sort of gotten more interested in that idea as the years have gone by. But doing this course really made me think more about the idea of designing your ideal life and one of the exercises I talk about in the course is writing down your top 10 things that bring you happiness and joy in your life. And then also going through your budget and writing down the top 10 things that you spend the most money on and sort of comparing these and seeing, do things align or don't they? And I mean, there's sometimes you have to pay the gas bill. It's not always going to align, but then you've got to think, well, I like being warm, but it's also yeah, focusing on uh, if being in a really nice home and suburb is really important to you then maybe it's fine to spend more money there and spend less in other areas of your life. So I think it's really about trying to use your money to bring you the most happiness in life uh, rather than letting your money sort of dictate you and what you do. Did you determine what was your number one thing that brought you happiness? I think at the moment it's learning. I I guess as someone that's fairly young, I'm still sort of – I actually love spending my weekends studying and learning new things. So I'm actually – really okay with spending money on learning new things, courses, going to sort of events and actually I guess sort of 
where I had time to work, spending some of that time that I could potentially work and earn more money studying instead. So I think that's that's a priority for me at the moment. What about you? I wouldn't know. No? Uh, when I <laughs> you have the, to do the exercise. <laughs> when I'm looking at the workbook now for the course, yeah. right, and it's lovely, um, made by you and Sophie. I didn't have the workbook when I, I read through the course. Yeah. I, I, just thinking off the top of my head here, I think it's got to be like the relationships you have with friends and family. Mm. For me at least, that's probably my number one. But then I definitely don't spend the most money on that. Like what would I spend the most money on? I, well, a, a mortgage is a bit. We live very frugally. Yeah, I so. see him eating beans in the office. Cans of beans. Well, that's a veggie. You kinda, <laughs> you've got no choice. So I would say the thing, I, other than Apple, the thing that I spend the most money on <laughs> is probably entertainment. So that's mm. a really broad category, but probably things like going out for dinner. Yeah, but that sort of contributes to spending time with your friends and family. Yeah, true. So that's um, aligned. There's alignment. Yeah, there. yeah, and I think it's just like yeah, working out. If you don't really care where you live and like you couldn't care less, you just need a roof over your head and that doesn't really bring you much joy. Are there other areas of your life where you could spend more on, like reduce your cost of living but spend more on travel or entertainment? Well, not travel right now, but yeah. yeah. And I think it's just sort of trying to align your spending with your life and what you want your life to look like. And that's also, I do talk about Ramit Sethi's money dials in the course, like t- turning up the money dial in your life and spending guilt-free on the things that, you love and that really bring you happiness and then turning down the dials on other things because you can't have everything all the time. You have to pick something. So, um, yeah, I think that was a really interesting thing that I sort of learnt more about and tried to incorporate in the course so you can work through that exercise as well. Mm. Yeah, I'm just looking at, again, I'm just looking at the the downloadable workbook. Um, I'm actually going to do this because it actually is a good chance to reflect um, Morgan Housel talks about in his book and he talked about with us on the podcast, mm-hmm. which is brilliant, is just investing time, money, effort in the things that are important to you. It's so important to have that kind of north star to focus on. And even, you know, if I just said family and friends are really important with, to me. How much time and effort do I invest in that mm-hmm. on an ongoing basis? Like the last thing that I said to someone, is that something that adds value to that relationship or is yeah. it something that detracts from it? And without actually writing things down and thinking about it, you probably don't put in enough effort to actually just be mindful of those types of things. Yeah, and even you could probably do the same exercise with your time. What are the 10 things you spend the most time doing and what are the things that you would much prefer to be doing with your time and is there ways you can sort of align that a little bit closer Mm. too because often the things that bring us the most happiness don't actually cost that much. It doesn't cost that much to have a cup of tea with a friend Mm. and spend time together. But often we get so busy with everything else, we don't leave time for those sort of things. Yeah, Yeah, great. So what about number two then? The second thing that I really thought about during the course was how much do we actually need to be financially independent? And especially after all the changes last year, has that increased our minimum level of safety And one of the ideas that really got me thinking about was the sort of the coast fire movement that's been growing where you, like say by the age of 30, you have invested $250,000. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Like (laughs) just because uh, I probably won't be able to work out the mass on the spot any other way. (laughs) So like say um, by the age of 30, you've invested 250K. So by the age of 50, you've got a million bucks. thinking like it's going to be doubling every 10 years, just basic here. So that means the idea of coasting is that you don't have to, you can take your foot off the pedal. So once you've hit that 
um, basic number, so like say 250, and you think, oh, oh, that means I'll have a million dollars by 50, you can stop focusing on putting as much money as aggressively in your investments and you can maybe spend more money on travel and your family and housing and all of that sort of stuff. So it means it's just a way that you can, it's a different way of approaching financial independence where you're still working, maybe you don't have to work as in, a, in as much of a high pressure job, you can maybe work part time, you can coast your way towards financial independence instead of getting there as quickly as possible, mm. if that makes sense. It does, it makes a lot of sense. So instead of, you know, I, I guess there's, so what would be, for people that don't know this, and I didn't know this until I read your course, like there's so many different names for different strategies. Yeah. So what this is Coast FI. Yeah. So like you're coasting, right? Yeah. Is that so, the idea? Yeah. It's like uh, when you're like in your 20s, 30s, put as much in as possible. Early on, yeah. And then once you hit a certain number where you feel comfortable that over the next 20 or 30 years it'll compound to the number you'll need at maybe the age of 50 or 60, you can just take your foot off the pedal and – yeah, work part time. Yeah, and just focus just, on investing that money well. Yeah, so you don't yeah. have to keep like plowing money straight yeah. into your investments. You can spend the money on other things, as opposed to something like lean fi or uh, lean fi or lean. Yeah, fi. well, I like. I guess if you're thinking of like, I want to get to financial independence in ten years, I need to put as much as possible in my investments. So by ten years' time, I've got enough to draw money from. Like, say, I want a million dollars in ten years' time. This is saying. I want a million dollars by the time I'm 50. So I need to have 250K invested by 30. Yeah. And the thing is, it's easier to save 250K mm-hmm. when you're young and ambitious than it is to save a million yeah. if you wait. So like you might be going, well, I want to do a career change. I want to study more or I want to I want to go into a career that doesn't pay as much or I want to work part-time. So you think, well, if I, as long as I get to this point by X age, then I can – take my foot off the race. You're still probably going to be investing in super. And I mean, most people, if they're used to investing on a regular basis at a, like in their twenties and thirties, you're probably not going to completely cold turkey and stop investing. But I mean, it's a, just a good way you can sort of slow the pace instead of trying to get to financial independence as quickly as possible. And I guess one, I'll put it in the show notes, but there's a great website to financial independence writers in the US called the Fioneers. And they have their, they've created a coast fire calculator. So you can plug in your numbers and sort of see what age and what would you need to sort of coast your way towards financial independence. Okay, cool. So what about then, Kate, people always say, and this is your point number three. People always say, oh, you know, it's about eating lettuce leaves and <laughs> rice. That's all the fire movement is. What would you say? I think the more I've looked into it, and I'm definitely not a frugal, frugal person at all, there's so many ways. Like, at the end of the day, finances are so personal and everyone's got a different method to reach their financial goals. And in the most case, they're all right. As long as you get to your goal by the point you want, like, go for it, whatever way you want to get there. But I think um, there's a lot of people working towards financial independence that are actually living like a really, I don't know, everyone's living standards are different. But like what would you think a pretty normal lifestyle? Like you're not trying to keep up with the Joneses, but you're not uh, eating baked beans for every meal. So I think that's the media kind of gives you that misconception, maybe based on one or two stories, that it's really about frugality, buying everything secondhand and like not ever going out. But I think you've really got to find that middle ground that works for you. Other areas of your life you can save more money on and maybe if you love going out, then spend the money on going out, but also find an area in your life you can cut back that spending. So, yeah, and it also comes back to that question, what are you prepared to change about your life? For most people, if you're not on a crazy high salary, you're not going to, you're going to have to change something. 
because most people are not financially independent when they retire. They might have to live on a government pension or something like that. So you're going to have to change something in your life to get there, but it doesn't need to be change everything. You've just got to work out what it, what's the most sensible way to change things in your life to reach your financial goals. Yep. Okay. I like it. What about then the next point? I think this is kind of a really important one, but mm. I feel like if you're on the journey to financial independence, you probably will have a handle of this before you reach that time. So Yeah. So the, the other thing that I really got thinking about while writing the course was the risks of retiring early. And I guess I wanted to point that out in the course because the media often sort of write scaremongering articles about um, someone that tried to retire at 30 and suddenly three years later they're having to go back to work but their skills have lapsed and they can't get a job so they're suddenly working at a coffee shop or something like that when they were working in IT before or something something along that ilk. And I think it's it's just really about planning ahead and thinking through some of the common scenarios like having a major health issues, um, have you factored in all of that? Like what would happen if you or your partner or couldn't work or something major happened that suddenly required a substantial amount of money, like something happened to your property or all of that like risk management kind of things. But just I think there's plenty of people that get to retirement age and don't have any money at all. So even just doing some things to work towards financial independence, you're going to have a lot more more of a safety net if something does happen. So it's not a be or end all. Yes, you might have to go back to work or yes, something like completely out of nowhere might happen. But I think it's about taking steps to make sure you've got a solid financial foundation and then hopefully that'll help you get back on your feet should something else happen. Like you're going to be, if you've saved like $100,000, if some if you get cancer, you're going to be in a much better position to look after yourself and deal with it than if you've got nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, shit happens, but you've just at least doing something to work towards financial independence means you're going to have a safety net and you're going to have some foundations. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. But yeah, I guess it's just like, yeah, think through some of the common scenarios that could happen. Like, I don't know, you invest in a fund that goes belly up. Like, Yeah. You get defrauded. You're divorced. You're kids, something happens to your child, they get divorced, you need to support them. Yeah, I mean, I didn't actually consider the whole divorce thing. That didn't cross my well, mind, but that's happen. like a, that's yeah. a real issue. Like yeah, 50% of marriages end in divorce, so you might lose half of your financial independence pool. So, yeah. Um, but that happens. And yeah. you know, I, I chat to a lot of wealthy people. I was chatting to someone that we both know the other day, extremely wealthy. I said, what keeps you working? Like the fear of yeah. retiring because I'd be so scared to this person has a lot of money. I can tell you that much. Mm. That <laughs> it would be the, the the question was, you know, well, what makes you, what keeps you up at night? What would keep you up at night? And they're like, to be honest, having lived through some market downturns, just seeing your money dwindle like that, like thirty yeah. percent less in a year, sometimes, and that's just what happens in the financial markets, right? Mm, yeah, so, and I so, think what's helped that for me is having even just in terms of that mindset, working towards fire, having a really solid cash buffer. Mm. I mean, I don't know if it's an emergency fund when it's bigger. Like what? It, I think once it passes that three to six months of living expenses, it's probably more like a cash buffer. But I think having a really solid cash buffer put aside when you're working towards financial independence really helps with that sleep at night factor. Definitely. What about lucky number five? Uh, number five, I think the importance of self-education and increasing your income. So I, 
especially last year when a lot of us had a bit more time on our hands, I think a lot of people were able to take advantage and focus on learning something new. I mean, we talked about a lot of resources and things people could access during last year to increase their knowledge in finance and other areas. But it's a lot easier to increase your income often by 10% than cut your expenses or save another 10%. So um, it's just like finding finding places where there's easy wins. Like if you're in an industry where it's quite, I don't want to say easy, but, you know, there's like there's a reasonable chance that you can upskill yourself and um, negotiate a pay rise or um, work in like jump across to another company and get negotiate a pay rise there or like educate yourself and jump into a higher paying field. That's, Second job. Yeah, that's a great way to um, make reaching your financial independence goals easier. Because yeah, a lot of the times with that, right, it's – I'm going to use air quotes. It's free money because if you were living on – let's call it X – and you get an increase, your lifestyle sh- costs shouldn't increase with that. That All that new money should just be, you know, play money or investing money. Yeah. Right? So that's effectively free money. And, um, you know, I think there's a risk here, and I know Dividends Down Under talk about this a lot uh, on their blog, which is that lifestyle inflation. You, you, a lot of people, when they get an increase in salary, their, their costs increase, not their savings. Mm-hmm. So it's about, you know, being mindful of that too. And, yeah, yeah. to your point, like I've heard of people – going to occupations and we've heard some listener stories of this where they've gone and earned, changed industries or got it upskilled and they've got 30% more income. That's huge. When you consider like cutting out your coffee is a tiny amount of your budget. Yeah. Yeah, it can be so painful for some people. Whereas if you go and get a different job in a different industry, maybe something you like even more. It's a huge kick in the right direction. If you can, if you do have the opportunity to think of it that way. So it's it's hard to cut all those small things out of your lives, like um, cut down your grocery bills and cut out the coffees. I'd much more want to focus on self-educating yourself and working out ways to increase your income, whether that's a side hustle, a second job, negotiating a pay rise, something like this, because there's a lot of jobs where you just, you maybe you can't because you're on a sort of a union like salary or whatever, you can't increase your salary yeah, by that much. And if you're on a job where you just, You've got X salary, you can't increase it, and there's just no more things you can cut out or reduce without making your life completely miserable. And I don't want you to be miserable. I think that's the biggest takeaway from the course. If your goals are making you, your financial independence goals are making you miserable, then it's time to make a change. Like I don't want you working towards financial independence and making yourself completely miserable for 10 years because what's the point? Yeah. But, yeah, in some cases you just cannot cut anything out of your budget um, or you've just trimmed everything you can. And then really it's about thinking of other ways to increase your income, like just listening to people say cut out that coffee. That's not very helpful um, when you've already cut everything else out. So uh, I think it's focusing on those things like, yes, yeah, side hustles, second jobs, other sources of income. And there's so many ways nowadays, and I've got a list in the course of about 50 different side hustle ideas um, that you could even have a look at. So, yeah, that's probably like my fifth takeaway. Yep. Cool. There's so much to, to get in to this one episode, but basically <laughs> what we're trying to do is we're trying to give you a taste of what's available in the course. So Kate's got these fantastic downloads. I'm just looking at some of them now. The podcast's dotted throughout the course as well. 50 Aussie side hustle ideas. Here we go. Um, physical services is something. Drive for Uber or food delivery service. Physical products. This is a different category. Have a garage sale. Yeah, that's something that you can do if you want to... Um, Save up your emergency fund, really good one. 
online services, become a freelance article writer. We have a lot of those <laughs> that participate at RASC. They write some of our articles. Write resumes. The amount of people that need help with resumes is incredible. Yeah, I see people selling yeah. on $50, dollars pop. Seems to be quite successful business side hustle idea online. Yep. I like this one because it's something that I'm looking at now, which is this is for online products. If you're, you know, artistic or creative, upload your digital artwork to Redbubble. You can also use Etsy, many of these other platforms as well, just local mm. platforms. Yeah. So these are all a little bit out there, but, you know, here's here's a good one that anyone can do. Take jobs, take on odd jobs in your community via Airtasker. I had a friend recently who um, landscaped their backyard and he said they, he didn't do anything. He got the entire backyard done everything done via Airtasker. Yeah, I put some jobs up on Airtasker and gotten really great results from people. And I guess because everyone has to bid on the job and sort of say why they should be chosen, you've got quite a selection. Mm. And a lot of these websites have guarantees. Like if you're not happy with the end product, you pretty much don't have to pay. So, um, And I've heard a lot of people having success with dog sitting and cat sitting which is probably not my cup of tea, but that's something something you can try out. Um, so I think it's really just like thinking outside the box and thinking more broadly rather than thinking that financial independence is only X, Y, and Z. It's just it can be anything you want it to be. It's just really getting to a position where you're completely comfortable with your financial position and you can look after yourself. And everyone's definition of financial independence is going to be different, but I think it's just this course gives you a lot of prompts to think about what does it look like for you and how can you build this in your life even before you get to financial independence. So how can you build a life that you love? And that's why I really like the concept of sort of designing your ideal life because you want to be enjoying your life many years before you get to that elusive fire number. Mm. It should be building something you love on the way there. You don't want to get to financial independence. Like like say you you got your million dollars at 40 and then realise what have you done with the last 10 years? You haven't spent time with your family. You've got health issues. And that's probably like the other point I want to add, like wealth, there's not much point having wealth if you're not healthy. So you don't want to get to financial independence at 40 and then realise you've got all these health issues that you didn't address over the last 10 years because you don't really get that time back. So I think just... When you're thinking about all your um, investment goals, think about your health and well-being goals alongside that. Brilliant. Yeah. There's so much. You've got me thinking. So <laughs> you asked me before the podcast, before we started recording, what my takeaways would be from the last few years and just financial independence in general. Has it changed? And I would say no, it hasn't really changed. But then hearing you talk just now about, you know, I think that's a really good example that you give of having $250,000 at 30. That's a big stretch for a lot of people. I get that. But if yeah. it is achievable for some people, $250,000. Yeah, it could be at 40. Oh, and it could be like whatever. 60, I just couldn't do the math. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you do double your money every 10 years, then you have a million by the time you're at 50 because that's 20 years. Yeah. Um, so it doubles and doubles again. And I, I know a lot of people who really, 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 seeing that we've used a few – uh, slang words on this, they bust their ass mm. when they're in their 20s <laughs> and in their early 30s. And you, you sometimes look at them and you're like, oh, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. But if you think about the timeline of your life, the more you save now and you think about that maths, the easier it is in time. And this is compound interest 101, right? Yeah. So, you know, $250,000, 30 might seem hard, but when you're 45 and you're saying, I need a million dollars by 50, that's a lot harder than, the, you know, that first $250,000. So, 
not to mention the peace of mind it gives you for the next 20 years. Mm. So and you can really take a lot more risk, I think, in your 20s, especially like with working second jobs. That sort of stuff you might not be able to do in your 40s with a family and yeah, things like that. So I think if you are listening to this right now and you're in your 20s like me, this is like a real opportunity to lay a solid foundation. And I think it, and then if you're in your 30s and 40s, it's also a really good course to take to think about, well, which direction do you want to go? How do you want to build your life from here? I think if you do one thing and you think and you hear those words that Kate just said, go and download that 10 things that are important yeah. to you and 10 things that you spend money on. Because no matter how old you are, you will be able to use that just mm-hmm. ref- that simple document and that reflection to set yourself on a direct, like a path towards something. Uh, I've always said to you that I don't really, and this is coming from a finance guy, right, that writes about finance a lot and about budgeting. (laughs) I don't like to put my life in a spreadsheet and forecast it out in years. I do that for like when we do investments and stuff like that for our membership services. Yeah. But I don't like that because it gives me a lot of insecurity because it makes me too prescriptive about the world. So I like to keep it much more flexible then at the same time, just hearing you with these very simple tricks and tools and you know strategies that you can use to kind of just give yourself a direction and think about that, that's really helpful for someone like me. Oh, I think if you like, and just don't try and get overwhelmed, just take one step at a time. Like you don't need to focus on getting through the whole course and applying it all at once. Just think, just work through one activity and go, how am I going to think about that in my life? And you don't need to like write a spreadsheet of exactly how much you're going to spend and save for the next 40 years, but think, well, I want to get to a point where I'm comfortable. What is the one step I can take today to work towards that? Yep. Yeah. I, got, I was asked the other day, and that's really important not to get overwhelmed, Kate, but I was asked the other day, like, how much would I need to be financially independent and retire early? Like, how much would I need to retire early and just invest? And I was like, well, nothing. Like, I don't want to do that. Well, the like, question was like becoming a full-time investor, wasn't it? Was it? full-time investor, yeah. yeah. And I was like, Which is a job in itself. Yeah, it <laughs> is. And I don't, to be honest, I don't want to do that. Hmm. Like I can already do that as part of my job. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't. And so I don't know. And then I started thinking about it and I kind of had to put it out on Twitter as a poll because I didn't really know. But then I was like, well, maybe one to $2 million is enough for me um, with my house paid off because we're talking about that as a contentious oh, issue. God. Yeah. So the house would be paid off because yeah. I don't think of a house as an investment necessarily i think if it's like it's like a lifestyle asset um, your chicken farm chicken farm <laughs> and rabbit hutch so i'd probably need one to two million dollars and then personally if i could make 10 percent on two million dollars like 10 percent returns mm. 200 grand after tax you know maybe one i'm just going off the top of my head 150 um you know living expenses starts to come down and you probably that's where you have to live in a coast mm. fi because you're not going to be <laughs> getting ahead if you're only making 10 percent returns yeah. which is probably more than what 80% of people will make. But then you got me thinking, I was like, to be honest, I probably am financially independent because I don't worry about money anymore. I used to. Mm-hmm. I don't have anywhere near that type of money, by the way. But um, I don't worry about money now. So I think that's my definition of it. And I love what I do. If I if I wasn't loving what I was doing, then I probably wouldn't think that I was independent, like yeah. financially independent. And it's partly like a mindset as well. It's not necessarily just a oh, number. Huge, yeah. It's how how do you think about your finances? Are you comfortable with your current financial position and your trajectory? And I think a lot of it ties into whether you're enjoying what you're doing at work as well. Your timeline may speed up or slow down depending on that yeah. um, and a whole range of other factors. Yeah, like dependence, mm. like your, just the way you conduct yourself. 
Yeah, and I think that's why your plan, and especially last year, has really reiterated how important it is for your plan to be as flexible as possible. And that's why it's good not to be too prescriptive if you like what you need to hit each year because a lot of people got laid off last year. So suddenly you can't keep working towards your goal at the same pace and maybe just saving $1,000 last year was a triumph in itself. And I think that's why you just you have to – it's good to have a goal and an endpoint and something to work towards, but I think you have that in your back of your mind, but then just break it down. So just think about what do you want to do of your finances on a yearly basis um, and automate that if you can, but um, don't, yeah, don't like tie yourself to a set regime and a set spreadsheet because then you might not get to take those say yes to different opportunities that come your way that might set you back from your prescribed plan, but actually might be great opportunities in the long run. Mm. That's where that first column is most more important than the second column. Yeah. The 10 things that you get the most happiness from. That's mm. the most important column. Yeah. And, and I've then read the second one. And I've read some like blogs from people that have reached financial independence and they've said um, they really regretted uh, saying they maybe worked towards it in a really fast 10 year time frame. And they said, well, I'm really grateful to be where I am. But there were a few things like a, a wedding or a, a trip or um, some things they said no to on the way that. At the time, maybe with five grand, so we're a lot of money to sacrifice as part of their fire journey. But now they're at financial independence. They're going, well, five grand in the grand scheme of things isn't actually that much. And I would have, I regretted not doing this thing. So I think it's like, I think who was it we were talking to about the regret minimization framework about asking yourself, would you regret this um, decision and sort of making thinking about it in that term because you don't want to be getting to 40 and going, what did I do with the last 20 years of my life? I didn't enjoy them at all. I can tell you, Kate, when you hit 30, uh, you begin to regret them all. <laughs> so <laughs> um, that's a really important framework. Cool. Kate, before we uh, risk it going on too long, this is an excellent discussion but the course is better. Yes. So go and check out the course. <laughs> it, Kate put in so many months. It's totally free. Get on there, take the bits that you want, just even rip out the downloads. You can do whatever yeah. you want. Then you can even just do the quizzes and the, the self-reflection parts. Jump on the Facebook group, talk about it, and get some strategies from other people and share your own. Yeah. It's such a good community we've got going on and these types of resources are so uh, valuable, not just now but to your family, to your friends, to your partner, for future generations that you'll support by being financially independent. Mm, and definitely send all your feedback our way. There's a feedback form at the end because that's just version one. So I want to include as much of your suggestions as possible and extra resources so we can make it sort of like the best resource uh, for people to get started on their own journey to thinking about financial independence. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed and I'd love to hear your feedback. It's definitely been a, a, a labour of love she during COVID. It. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'd definitely love to hear your thoughts. It's such a it's such a big, broad idea and there's so many ways to get there and I think by sharing ideas it's really helpful. So much of this is just so much of what I've talked about today is knowledge I've just gained from other people and just by reading a really wide range of sources and having lots of discussions. I mean, it's the, it's a great topic to have sort of deep discussions over a wine with mm. other people. So, um, yeah, if you yeah. have like a small community or someone that you can talk to. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Kate, that's a great discussion. So thanks for talking about the fire course and thanks for, <laughs> as always, for joining me in this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. 
If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at risk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.